to extend a, a really warm welcome to you as we meet together as, as a people of God. So we meet together to worship him, to praise him and to be taught by him. Let's just commit our time to, to him in prayer. Father God, we ask that as we come into your presence, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. We come into your presence asking that our minds would be focused on you and not distracted by any thoughts that we have coming through from the week or the week that has gone or the week that is to come. And we pray our time together would bring you honour and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. A warm welcome to those who are online as well. We have people away from us today, whether they're on holiday or whether they happen to be at home, and we welcome you as well. Just one announcement before we start, that we are planning on having a fellowship tea on the 7th of November, which everyone's invited to, and it's at 5 o'clock on Sunday the 7th. There is a a list up on the, the board out in the foyer. Please, if you could just pop your name on if you're intending to come, just so that we can gauge the right amount for food. So that's Sunday the 7th at 5 o'clock. Everyone's invited. I'm just going to read a a few verses from Psalm 105, which will lead us into our first hymn. And after our first hymn, John's going to come up and read for us. A few verses from Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. The psalm then carries on enlisting lots of what God had done for the peoples in the Old Testament. And there's a real focus on the Exodus redemption as he brought them out from slavery. And through the wilderness, the desert, and then through the River Jordan into the Promised Land. And as we sing it, we can see those pictures in those verses. But it reminds us that as they trusted God then, we can look back and we can trust God now. And that final River Jordan is as we go... Um, through death into heaven, all those that love him. Um, So we're going to have our first hymn, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Let's stand and sing.
Well, we're generally in uh, Hebrews in these few uh, Sunday mornings, and we're being led really along a portrait gallery of faith. And last week we saw, if you like, three pictures, three portraits, uh, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And this week, in a way, we come to a bigger portrait, or you might say a collection of portraits together as we look at Abraham. We're going to read the passage uh, in a moment, but first we're going to look up Genesis chapter 12. So just a few pages into the Bible, page 8 if you've got the church Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 12, reading some verses which are background to our passage this morning. But I'd just like to say as well that this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. In these next few verses, we see God's promises to Abraham. And God's promises to Abraham really shape the rest of the Old Testament, indeed the New Testament, indeed the history of the world. These are pivotal verses that we're looking at this morning, just in our initial reading. We're going to read the first seven verses. There are really four promises, depending on how you cut them up, but four promises to Abraham, promises of descendants, promises of blessing, promise that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and the promise of the land. So descendants, blessing, nations blessed, and the land are the four things, and they shape so much of the rest of the Bible. If you've never done a Bible overview, you'll, you'll start from the, or you'll, Genesis 12 will feature big, and it'll be a, a good thing to do. Let's read these verses then first. Genesis 12, 1 to 7. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's sons, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then let's move on to our passage for today, which is in Hebrews 11. We're in page 1008, if you've got the church Bibles. Hebrews 11, and we're going to be reading verses 8 to 19. Verses 8 to 19, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed 
when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive and in, as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Amen. Thank you, John. Well, after our our next hymn, um, Mark is going to do the children's talk, so any children who would like to come up the front, feel free to come up. Now this weekend, um, Roger and Ruth have celebrated their, their 50th golden wedding anniversary, and they have chosen for us our next hymn. And it's, it's great, because it's very much one as they've looked back and seen God's faithfulness to them over 50 years, that they've chosen this hymn, which is, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee, Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not, as thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Let's stand and sing.
Okay, good morning. Now, I wasn't here last week, but I gather this is a bit less than last week, is that right? A bit crowded last week, lovely. Well, I'm going to speak to you, but I'm also going to speak to the camera because I know there's lots of you watching from home, and it's good to have you watching from home, and there's also others scattered about. Oh, and we have another one. Lovely, do you want to find a seat on the front? Lovely. Okay, now, what have I got with me this morning? Go on in. A paper clip. Now, it is a bit of a bigger one. I brought a bigger one so you could see it a bit more clearly. But other than that, it is just a simple paper clip. Nothing special about it. Now, how much do you think this is worth? How much money do you think that's worth? I think it's a hundred. Goodness me. Maybe a hundred pennies, maybe a pound. What do you think? Yeah, go on in. 5p, not very much. Yeah, not very much at all. It's very cheap. Now, here's a slightly different question. Let's imagine I was to do swaps with you. Okay, so I was going to swap it with something. What would you be willing to give me for me to give you this? If any of you got any ideas, what, what would you be happy to give me if I was to give you this? Got any thoughts? What do you think? Another paper clip, maybe a smaller one, the one not as good. Yeah, what, what would you give me? Another paper clip as well, goodness me. Well, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story, okay, about someone who swapped a paper clip, just a normal paper clip, not even a big one, and they swapped it for a house. What? That's a bit strange, isn't it? But he didn't do it in one swap. He did lots of little swaps until he got a house. So, let me tell you how he did it. So he put a notice out on the internet. Some of you may have heard this story. He put uh, a little note saying, would anyone like to swap something with me for this paper clip? And do you know what? Someone said, yeah, I'm happy to give you a fish-shaped pen. So a pen, still pretty small. It's not much, is it? It's only a pen, but it's in the shape of a fish. So, okay, he's now got a fish-shaped pen. So then he said, does anyone want to swap this fish-shaped pen for something? So someone said, okay, I'll take the pen and I'll give you a special handmade door handle. Okay, so still not great, is it? It's only a door handle, but, you know, it was it looked pretty special. So then he said, well, who wants to swap this with me? So someone said, I'll tell you what, I'll have the handle and I'll give you a camping stove with fuel. Well, it's not much, but it's a little bit bigger, isn't it? Now, I'm going to miss out a few little skips. But then eventually it got to the point where he said, I'm going to give you something. And they said, okay, I'll give you a snowmobile. (gasps) How fun does that look? That looks a lot of fun, right? Okay, just me. I think a lot of fun. And then there was another couple of things. And then someone said, I'll tell you what, I'll swap with you and I'll give you a box truck. Isn't that a little lorry? That's cool, isn't it? So he's already gone from a paperclip to a lorry. And then there were something else, a bit more swapping. And then someone said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a part in a movie. So you became like a little actor. How cool is that? And then someone said, because you've been in a bit of a movie, what I'll do is I'll give you a house. And that is a picture of the actual house that he got. Isn't that amazing? Just in 14 swaps... This man, in 2005, managed to go from just a paperclip to a house. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, there's a girl that is doing that at the moment. She saw this idea and she thought, 
I might give that a go. So she got a hair clip. Yeah, some of you know hair clips. I don't use them very much, but maybe you do. And got hair clips. And here she is. She's called Demi Skipper. And she thought, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do some swaps. And I'm going to try and swap a little hair clip. So here you go. There's a little hair clip that she started with. And she said, I'm going to try and get a house as well. And she's had all sorts of things that she's been swapping. So she swapped that and someone said, I'll tell you what, I'll swap that for some earrings. So she got some earrings and the other person only got a a hair clip. And then, what was next? Well, yeah, there was a hoover. A little bit later, there was a hoover. And then, this isn't in order, but she's also had um, a, a snowboard, that is. Then there was an Xbox as well. Uh, some special, yeah, special night trainers. There was a camera. And an iPhone 11. Wow, she's had all these things. And now the latest thing. So this is where she's up to at the moment. This is what she's got. The latest I checked when I checked earlier. She's got this. It's a special sort of trailer that you can live in. It's worth £40,000. Yeah, like a little carriage. £40,000. She's got from a little thing. And it's all about swapping things. And it made me think about this. And I was thinking, well, what would I swap? What would I swap for that? Or what would I swap for a paperclip? And it made me think about this. It made me think, what would I, or what would you swap Jesus for? What would you swap Jesus for? So what would you rather have? Jesus, what would you rather have? Jesus or a bike? Would you rather have Jesus or a bike? Oh, that's a tough one. Okay, what about Jesus or a bike and a PlayStation 5? Or what about Jesus or a bike and a PlayStation 5 and a quad bike? Or what about Jesus or a bike and a PlayStation 5 and a quad bike and an amazing villa in the sun with a big swimming pool? Imagine having all those things. That'd be pretty cool, right? Now, I like a lot of those things. I think a lot of those things would be fun. But Paul in the Bible, he said this. He said, and he was talking about slightly different things. But he said, there's lots of things that are really important to me. And I think they're really important. I value them, or I did value them. But he said, you know what? Compared to Jesus, they're nothing. They're worth nothing. He said this, I think that all things are worth nothing compared with the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So to Paul, Jesus was the most important thing in the world to him. Paul wouldn't swap Jesus for anything. And it just made me think, what about you? What would you rather have? Would you have the whole world and everything in it? Or would you rather have Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus is more valuable and more special than the whole world put together. So that's why we worship him. Okay, I'm going to hand back. Thank you very much. You listen really well. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Well, let's, let's turn to uh, that great God in prayer, shall we? Let's pray.
Father God, as we, we come into your presence, we have been reminded that there is nothing in this world that we can exchange for our soul. There's nothing in this world that is more important than coming to know Jesus. There's nothing in this world which can replace that peace that he gives us when we come and confess our sins to him. Lord, seeking his forgiveness through his death on the cross. His willingness to take the punishment away so that we can have that relationship with him and with the Father in heaven. And for all of us that know you as our Saviour, for all of us that know you as our Father, we thank you for the way that you have shown us. We thank you for the way that you care for us. Thank you for the way that you teach us through your word. But Lord, if there are any that that do not know you as their saviour, who do not have that peace with you as the Father in heaven, we pray that perhaps this very day you would open their eyes to see how they can be forgiven for their sins through the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Lord, help us in our lives as we live them to realise that You are the most important thing. Sometimes we do get preoccupied and caught up with things that are necessary. But they're not as important important as serving and worshipping you and praising you and taking time to be with you. So help us as we live our lives to have that right focus on our lives. Lord God, our our lives are full of, of many things. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to commit them each to you. We want to say thank you for the 50 years that Roger and Ruth have been happily married. Lord, that seems really special as marriage is under such threat today in our society. Lord, we thank you for the way that they can look back and see your goodness through those 50 years. And Lord, we know that each of us, when we look back and see the way that you have helped us through whatever time span that we have lived, That gives us the confidence to look forward, to have that faith in you. And we pray that as John preaches to us, as he, as he takes those heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, may we, Lord, have our faith increased as we think about what you have done and the confidence that we can have in you and because of that. Lord, we thank you that as it's half term, We pray that each of the teachers and those who are involved in education will be able to have a a break, have a rest. Lord, we're constantly aware of the pressures they are under. We think especially of COVID at the moment, as lots of the younger children seem to be getting it. We pray for them. Pray for any who are at home. We pray that you would help them. We pray that they would not become too poorly with it. We pray for any who are struggling because of isolation. We ask that you would strengthen them. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have had over the summer. Lord, we've appreciated being able to come back together. We've appreciated being able to sing together. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't return back to those lockdown measures we've had before. We pray that your hand would be upon this pandemic. We pray that, Lord, you would curb it. Lord, we long to be with each other. And we long to sing to you. Help any who are seriously ill. And Lord, we pray that you would be with them. Lord Father God, we we commit to you the Swansons in Cyprus. We ask that you would be with them. 
We thank you that more and more of the students and of the Turkish Cypriots are coming back to their services. And we ask that you would be with your word. And we pray your word would change their lives. And we pray that James and Rachel would see fruit from your word, from their work there in your service. And souls would be changed. Souls would be brought to know Jesus as their saviour. And not only the Swanson and Cyprus, we think of Rosie in Papua New Guinea. We ask that you be with her there. Lord, we commit Steve Sinjin this morning as he goes back into Maidstone, as he preaches there. As it's the first time that the service is being held as a, a, whole, a whole jail for those who want to go and not as individual wings. We pray even in jail. Lord, no one is too bad to be forgiven. We pray there that your word would be working, your spirit would be working, drawing souls and bringing people to you. And Lord God, as we sing our next hymn, I do not know what lies ahead. We pray that we would be able to commit our future into your hands. We're so glad that we don't know it. We're so glad that you are in control of it. And we pray that you would increase our faith in you as we look to the future in your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and, and sing our next song, which is, I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see, yet one stands near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. Let's stand and sing.
Well, I hope that uh, you felt the encouragement to face uh, last week when we started to look at this series in Hebrews 11, those of you that were here. We're looking at faith boosters in Hebrews 11. They're illustrations of, uh, of lives of enduring active faith. And uh, they were aimed to encourage the Jewish Christians, the Hebrews that were being written to, and they're aimed to encourage 21st century Christians too. If you were to pick a single example from the Old Testament of faith, I wonder who it would be. The biggest single encouragement to us. Well, you may say there's a number of contenders, and you could probably list out a few if you're familiar with the Old Testament. But you may well settle on Abraham, or Abraham and co, as we've called it this morning, others with him. He is held up in the New Testament as a great example of faith. He is the the father, if you like, of the people of faith. There's a lot of attention given to him in the New Testament, in Romans 4 and other places, as a great example of somebody who was justified by faith. And of all the people in this list we're looking at in Hebrews 11, it is Abraham who receives most attention. So we're on Abraham, particularly this morning. And part of the attraction, I think, to Abraham is the way in which his faith uh, was faced with many difficulties. He was given some specific promises. We heard about those in Genesis 12. Two of the specific ones which are um, focused on, relevant as background to this morning, are the fact that he was promised descendants, in fact that a nation would come from him. And also he was promised, or his people were promised, a land, Canaan, the promised land. But the pathway through for Abraham wouldn't be easy. He's not getting on a train, if you like, uh, sitting back and just enjoying the gentle ride. No, it was an obstacle course, hence the picture this morning. Now, I don't know if you have faith in Jesus. I hope you do. I hope this series will help you to begin that journey of faith. It is the the right journey to be on. It is the best journey to be on. The, The benefits, the blessings of being on that journey are unparalleled. The God who calls you on that journey is worthy of following. The companionship is great. The destination is tremendous. It is the journey to be on. But as many of us know, the life of faith has its difficulties. We aim to obey God, to to follow him, to follow his pathway, to trust in him. But it's not always easy. Heading on that journey is to a special destination, but the route can be very hard. And as I thought about these verses that we're looking at this morning on Abraham, I realised they were packed There's some great phrases here. Uh, We can't stop at them all as I'd like. Maybe some of them we'll be able to come back to next week when we've got a shorter selection of verses. But one thing that did impress me is the way in which Abraham was given by God a faith which carried on despite difficulties. 
four main difficulties that I think we can bring out from these verses we're looking at in Hebrews 11. So this man, he had obedient, enduring trust. He had faith. He's an example for us. Obedient, enduring trust in God. Firstly, despite uncertainty. Despite uncertainty. God revealed himself to this man first in the city of Ur in Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is in modern Iraq, modern Iraq. In those days it was quite a hub of civilization. It was, it seems, quite a nice place to live actually. And he was to go to another country. He was called by God to go to a, another country. It would happen in two stages, first to Haran and then to the country. And look what is said about Abraham's move and call in verse 8 of Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, before a major decision in life, uh, we like to know the details, don't we? And there's some wisdom in that. So, if you're going to move house, you, you see the pictures, you find out about the area, you have a house survey done. If you apply for a job, you want to know about the company and you, you want to think about what it's going to be like to live if you're moving in that area and you find out about the main terms and conditions. Um, going on holiday, you can look up some websites, find out where you're going before you make a decision. But Abraham didn't know where he was going. To a land that I will show you. God didn't give him a prospectus. He wasn't able to download a sort of five minute snapshot of the area of Canaan. God didn't wheel in some Canaanites for a bit of a question and answer session as to where he was going to be going. And yet he left his homeland, his companions, his culture, as I say, what seems to have been quite a nice culture according to the British Museum evidence that we can see, and he went. It was a big step. It's massive. So uncertain. How could he do that? Well, Stephen tells us a little bit more about it in his speech in Acts 7 in the Bible. And he says this in verse 2, Brothers and fathers, hear me, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your country and go into the land that I will show you. It was the God of glory that appeared to him. And that makes all the difference. This wasn't unreliable Fred telling him what to do. This wasn't impulsive Janine. This wasn't Darth George. This was the God of glory. And the character of God, his glory, inspires our faith and Abraham's faith and Abraham goes. There's something similar, I think, to when we start to follow Jesus, you know. When the disciples started to follow Jesus, it was a, a major change 
in their life. We read about it, for instance, in Mark chapter 1, the life story of Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Yes, we we count the cost, but we follow Jesus because of his character and because of his trustworthiness. And the disciples seem to feel this and they leave what they have behind and they go and follow Jesus even though the route is not totally mapped out. It can be the same within the pathway of discipleship. The Hebrews didn't know what was ahead of them. They hadn't yet, and none of them had lost their lives, we read, because of their faith, but it seems as though things were hotting up, and they must have wondered, well, what's going to happen because we are Christians? What does the next few months and years hold for us? What are the eventualities that are running through their mind? We're going to be snubbed, we're going to be looked down, we're not respected, maybe we'll lose our jobs because of our faith. What is going to happen? It all seems so uncertain, We may think, if I become a Christian, I try to think what the reaction's going to be. And maybe just if I knew, if I knew how my family and my friends and people around me were going to react, maybe I would if I just knew, but it's all so uncertain. Oh, we, we want to make a break in our life because we know we've got things happening in our life which shouldn't be there. They've got to go, but we don't know what the consequences will be if we cut those things out of our lives. He had faith despite uncertainty. We want to spread the gospel and serve and it becomes clear that that might involve a big change, a new responsibility, something different. There's a lot of uncertainties. One of the books on Hebrew 11, Hebrews 11, Faith for Life by Richard Coakin, which is largely an excellent book. And he says uh, at one point about some of the situations he knows of. My sister and her husband went with three small children to rural Tanzania to plant gospel teaching churches with the support of Africa Inland Mission. Their son and his new wife are training in Kenya for doing something similar in South Sudan with serving in mission. A young couple with their new baby have just moved from leafy Worcester Park in South London to start a new church in Barkingside in North London. An events manager and an operations manager enjoying lucrative careers in London have both recently accepted roles working for our church planting network on a fraction of their previous salaries for the sake of the gospel. Every year young graduates leave their promising career paths to become ministry trainees and apprentices in churches across the world learning gospel ministry to reach the lost in a diversity of context. Uncertainties, big changes, out of faith, obedience to the gospel. Now a big move requires a a lot of thought, moves like that require a lot of thought and prayer and the advice and support of other mature Christians around and the local church that you're involved with, they're not something to do lightly. They involve sacrifice and uncertainty. Often in life, uh, like Abraham, 
We have to rise above the uncertainties and to rest in God. And so we sang that great hymn, I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see, but God stands be near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. I know who holds the future and he'll guide me with his hand. With God things don't just happen, everything by him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with its problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles. Give to him my all. We used to have a poster. This is what was on it. Never be frightened to trust an unknown future to a known God. Don't forget the second part of that. Never be frightened to trust an unknown future to a known God. Because of the God of glory, Abraham was a man of faith despite uncertainty. And he was also a person of obedient, enduring trust in God, despite apparent impossibility. Despite apparent impossibility. Um, Abraham's wife uh, gets a mention as we come to verse 11 of Hebrews 11. A time has gone on. The promises were made. 75, when he heard the promises... A couple of decades and more have gone past and there are no children for Abraham and Sarah together. Well past the age of having children. I know they still lived longer in those days and they would live longer lives than we do. But uh, she wasn't in the sort of not likely 40s. She was 90 and he was 100 Yet God had promised a a family line and a great nation to come from them. Uh, But time seemed to be running out. It seemed to have run out. It seemed to be behind them. And yet we read in verses 11 and 12, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. There's a a little bit of a question in the Greek quite who's covered by this by faith, but it seems to be both Abraham and Sarah here presented as people of faith. And I think that's especially encouraging. If you, if you look at the account in Genesis, that would be in Genesis 18, Sarah laughed in unbelief. She had to be corrected because of her unbelief. At the thought, the prospect that she would have a child at her age. And yet here she's highlighted as a woman of faith. Things moved on, changed. She was given that phrase, is anything too hard for the Lord? Or Abraham was given it, she would have heard it. She thought through these things, she's considered. Uh, You get that in these verses, you know. Uh, The faith is not just sort of mindless. Uh, One of the words later on in relation to Abraham is is considered, the the word logic comes from it. He thought things through. Faith thinks things through based on the character of God, the revelation of God. 
And then she becomes a, a woman of faith, featuring here in our list as a person of faith. You know, thankfully, our past episodes and phases of unbelief and doubt don't stop us from becoming men and women of faith as time goes by. I think this is encouraging. So, as she goes on from there, she is trusting in God's promise. She keeps up her love life with her husband. Together they feel expectant that God will give their older than middle-aged bodies a child. That the word would become true from God despite its apparent impossibility. And so it does. And I understand the Sunday school children uh, doing this um, character in their series. Um, had, I think, the children of Abraham around the, the Sunday school with names hanging down from the different children of Abraham to impress on them the number of descendants that came as God kept his promise despite apparent impossibility. So many that it's pictured as the stars of the sky, the grains of sand on the seashore. In fact, the whole of the Jewish race, millions coming as a fulfilment of this promise, despite apparent impossibility, as this man and woman of faith trusted God's promise. And so, people of faith believe God's promise even when it seems impossible. So what are we to do with this? Are we start sending pensioners to the family planning clinic? Do we become confident in our bizarre plans in our own mind, our little dream world, and just think that if we believe they occur? Do we Envisage and expect that now on this earth none of us will get unwell or die. Do we have these sorts of ways in which we apply this? We have to be careful not to apply these sorts of things in in strange ways outside of the clear teaching and framework of the Bible. There are there are many ways in which it does encourage us in difficult situations. Here's, here's two obvious ones. God has promised new glorified bodies to believers in the future, in the new creation to enjoy it. But it seems impossible. Uh, most of us don't die uh, gustily in good health, sort of against the idea of passing away, isn't it, really? It's not a case of just a little bit of modification when we come to the end of our lives. No, we deteriorate and we lose strength and our eyes fade and we perhaps become confined to a chair and our memory fades and perhaps we become so mentally weak that we are a sort of pale shadow of our former selves and some are, are, are taken through devastating, weakening illness so they become so frail. Maybe others are damaged, deformed in horrendous accidents. 
and yet the promise is clear, they will have glorified bodies and minds in the new creation. And we hold fast in faith to what seems apparently impossible because of the word of God. God will bring about the impossible. Another area is the spread of the gospel. So the Bible says that we're all spiritually dead. Uh, At one level, passing on the good news to other people is an impossible task. We can't put spiritual life into people that are dead. In the same way as people couldn't put spiritual life into us when we were spiritually dead. But God can do the impossible and he's done the impossible in our lives and in the lives of many others when they're born again by the work of the Spirit of God. And so we carry on in faith, taking the gospel despite the apparent impossibility. We teach, we talk, we pray, we befriend, we help, remembering that God can do what seems apparently impossible. So, I hope as we're going through these that that Abraham and co are encouraging your faith, helping you to face some of the, the obstacles of your current experience, obedient, enduring trust in God, thirdly, despite not belonging, despite deprived living, despite living lightly, there's a few things combined here, but we take this route through, despite not belonging. Maybe we might enlarge on this a little week, as I said, we might have a bit more room to, to develop some of these things next week. So Abraham, a friend of God, uh, the receiver of uh, the promises, but what's life like for him now, now that he's gone to the land? I don't want to overdo it. He was blessed as part of one of the fulfillments of some of them and God did bless his work and his possessions and he was respected in the land. We we mustn't forget that aspect of it. But this man who's promised the land, what does he own? I'll tell you what he owns. He owns a burial plot. You, You list his property assets, it won't take very long. He's got a a small patch, he's got the equivalent of a back garden. The man who's promised the whole country, that's what he's got. What about his home? Well, it was a tent. He was a nomad. We have a, a travelling family staying down Hoadley's Lane in the stables. Uh, they're in their caravans and their motorhomes. I don't know all the details about it. They're friendly enough to me when I've chatted to them. But they have no bricks, no no sort of fixed home, if you like. And I felt like saying to them this week, well, that's just like the hero of faith I'm looking at on Sunday morning. He doesn't have a fixed home. How, how was he treated? How was he treated? The, the If you like, the heir apparent of the land of Canaan feels like an immigrant. He feels like a a foreigner. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, 
heirs with him of the same promise. And then the end of verse 13, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Could have gone back. Could have gone back to his old old culture, if you like. Maybe had a house back in his, his old place. But he stayed in the land. He trusted God. His mind seems to be beyond just that land. Pick this up again next week. City, country. City given by God, a better country. And God recognises the faith of this man Abraham as he's willing to be a traveller. Feel as though he doesn't belong. Live so lightly. And it says, great verse, at the end of verse 16, this. But that is is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Remember the coast last week? Coaster, if you were listening 10 metres away, not, not being willing to sort of identify yourself. And we're like that with God sometimes. We sort of attempted to distance ourselves from God. Well, God is saying here, of the people of faith, he's willing to be with them. He's not ashamed to be alongside them. They may live as people that don't feel they belong now, but God, they belong to God. They belong to God. He associates with them. He's not ashamed to identify with them. And this sense of not belonging is uh, often par for the course, if you like, of the Christian life. That's how Peter felt when he wrote his first letter and says in chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners or travellers and exiles, foreigners, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So true faith is uh, willing to sort of live light in this world, to live loose to the world, to to endure not belonging to this world, to, to not go along with the passions and ambitions of this world. And sometimes we, we don't feel as though we really belong. Perhaps because of our Christian views, sometimes we, we feel like a bit of a foreigner in your company, in your street, in your, in your family maybe. You don't aim to be odd, but it just happens because you've got different values. I think we'll find this growing more and more as, as if society carries on in the direction that it, it's going. So the moment you, you lovingly um, but, but firmly hold to a Bible views on sexual immorality, you're called homophobic, which is one of the weightiest labels society can give somebody today. And it's hard. At the moment you preserve some form of biblical views on gender, you're called transphobic. And, And perhaps you feel 
uh, it's strange you, you try and live your life out with gospel values in terms of what you prioritise. So you don't have as big a house as you could do with your income. You don't have as nice a car as you could do with your income. You, do, you don't have the spending money you could do with your income. And others look like, this is weird. You could be, you, that salary, you could be living it up and you, you're not living it up. What, what, what is this person? Or, you see, the only way of salvation, salvation uh, through the death of, 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 of Jesus Christ, and you're seen as a narrow-minded bigot. Not by all, but by some. And there is a sense of not belonging. God helps his people in faith to endure to obey, even though they don't feel as though they belong here. We remember that we belong to him, that he identifies himself with us, that it is not ashamed to be called our God. And if the God of glory is our God, we're willing to go with him, even if sometimes it does look weird to others. Lastly, Obedient, enduring, trust in God, despite puzzling setbacks. Despite puzzling setbacks. Abraham seemed to have a lot of setbacks in his life of faith. There's lots of them if you go through uh, Genesis. Uh, Sometimes, if you like, the car of promise fulfilment seems to crunch into reverse gear and seems to be going in the opposite direction. Perhaps the biggest single episode of this is involving Isaac. We read about that in verses 17 and 18 here of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was, in fact, in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So God had miraculously given Abraham and Sarah a son. It was Isaac. And as the years go by, it becomes the focus, if you like, of this very testing, puzzling experience from God. Abraham is strangely told, we read about it in Genesis 22, he's strangely told um, to, to, to offer up his son Isaac. Thankfully, that's something that we'll never be asked to do. Amazingly, it is something that God was willing to do in sending his own son into this world, and the Isaac experience does point to what God has done. Abraham, there in Genesis 22, is resolute in his faith and obedient, in fact, eager getting up early to do what God wants, and he heads off to the prescribed place to act out what God has son, it, uh, said, even though it seems to dem- put a dem- demolition ball right through the promises. Yeah, Abraham knows that God will in some way keep his promise. You sense that even in the account in Genesis 22, a sense that Isaac and Abraham will, will come, come back, that God will provide some way around this. He is still believing, but it comes out even plainer here in Hebrews in verse 19. He considered, 
logically thought through, considered, bearing in mind God and his promises, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Well, if you know the account, you know the relief that God intervenes, that Isaac comes off the altar, that an animal substitute takes his place instead. But it was a very puzzling experience for Abraham, and there were many others for him. And maybe in your experience of life, there have been, there are puzzling setbacks. Disappointments. Heartbreaks. It seems like the the, the the car is crunched into reverse and going the wrong way from what you thought it was going to go. Sometimes, some of the things we most love in this world, we've seen as gifts from God, have been gifts from God, we give thanks for them. They're threatened or they're taken. It's very puzzling. It's very hard. It's it's mysterious. It's a it's a setback, but it's one that God uses to test and strengthen faith in Him. Sometimes the the things we thought would be for the advance of the gospel just seem to go the other way. Who'd have who'd have put in their outreach plans for twenty twenty? Nothing, because the year's almost a write-off and everything has to be cancelled. Who would have put in their plans confinement and illness and personal grief? But if God puts in our hearts a deep, resilient faith like Abraham, he will help us to keep trusting in the God of glory who owns us, the God of promises, even when there are setbacks. Abraham is to boost faith. I'll apply it one more way just at the end here. Maybe you wanted a a gentle um, glide into the older years and off to glory. But that's not how it's been. I'm speaking to those who are getting a little bit older. Each day is difficult. Each day feels a test. It's not plain sailing. You're feeling deprived and sort of seem to be struggling in every area of life. You need to rise above the setbacks and the difficulties to keep in mind God's promise. It reminds me in thinking of this, of a, a trip back from France which I had a few years ago, been on holiday, I can't remember the exact details, but we had to get up early in the morning to head back, travelling up most of France. There was a delayed crossing at Dover, uh, I think it was that year, that it was just very windy, wet conditions, crossing was delayed. We got back to, to Dover, so it was dark, it was raining, we were tired, and you know what I wanted? I just wanted to head up the M20, and come back the easy route to home. I just, that's what I, just, that's all I got energy for, it felt. You know, let's just keep this simple, up the M20, off home, get back, head to bed. And the M20 is blocked. I have to 
pick my way through the Kent lanes. Well, they can be nice, kind of go along the Kent lanes in a, in a, in a sunny day, but, but when you've got stuff on your roof and stuff on the back and, and you, you've been travelling hours and hours and it's dark, it's wet and windy, that was the last thing I wanted. Concentrate around all these tight bends. I wanted the easy route. But you know what? I got home. And I got to bed. And I got to a place of rest. And maybe you're at the end of life and you wanted the M20. You wanted the easy route home. Gently gliding to glory. Maybe God will give it to you. But maybe God has instead got a route for you which is the last thing you wanted which is turns and difficulties, frustrations and darkness. Don't forget, you will get home. The Lord will bring you home. Have an enduring, resilient trust in the God who has promised and the God who we have sung about is a God of great faithfulness. Well, I hope looking at Abraham's faith despite uncertainty, apparent impossibility, not belonging and puzzling setbacks is a boost to your faith this morning. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a song which perhaps has been on some of your minds for this series. It's the song By Faith. By faith we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design, in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness, who walk by faith and not by sight.
Well, before I pray, it's a nice day, so it would be a, a good day for our socialising to be done outside rather than inside. Let's pray. Lord, do help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the God of glory, the faithful one, the one who sent his son into this world, the one who is willing to be associated with us. Help us to rest on your promises, even though sometimes there are real setbacks and uncertainties, apparent impossibilities and painful experiences. Lord, help us to be encouraged by Abraham, Sarah and the others to have a a resilient, uh, ongoing, obedient, active trust. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.